When you're hiring, it feels amazing to finally close out a job search. But what if you could get rid of the search and just match? You can with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The names behind the numbers. The stories behind the names. This is the Her Hoop Stats Podcast with John Little. I've stood up in some of our meetings at the NCAA tournament and said, I think it should be an NCAA violation if a kid can prove they were lied to. If they can prove that somebody lied to them, gave them misinformation, then that kid ought to be able to transfer without penalty, and there ought to be a violation. It ought to be the greatest violation. The biggest newsmakers, the best storytellers. The Her Hoop Stats Podcast. Here's your host, John Little. Happy Monday. You made it through another week. Welcome into the Her Hoop Stats Podcast. I'm your host, John Little. Good to have you here today. We've got Mike Neighbors on the show, the head coach of the Arkansas Razorbacks. That's coming up momentarily. But uh, we want to remind you to subscribe to the podcast and make sure you knew we put out not one, but two podcasts last week. Uh, One with Erica Agumike, the former Rice star, and an appearance in that podcast as well from Isabel Harrison from the Dallas Wings, talking about her experience playing overseas during the COVID-19 outbreak and trying to get back home. A cool perspective there. But then Erica Agumike, our feature conversation, and the youngest of the Agumikes talks about uh, being a pre-med student and trying to do a great job in school while also at the same time completing a great uh, career on the floor as well. Talking about her WNBA prospects, what she's going to do for her future, talking about her sisters, uh, of course, and lots to talk about with Erica Gumake. Hope you enjoyed that one, number 68. And then number 69 in the middle of the week was the presentation of our Becky Hammond Award winner for our Mid-Major Player of the Year. Just thought it was so cool to talk to Kira Duffy and her head coach Don Plitzewhite as well about uh, what it was like to uh, be a part of a great team this year at the University of South Dakota and for Duffy what it was like to be named mid-major player of the year and have that award be named after Becky Hammond who she's from the same hometown as Kira Duffy is Rapid City South Dakota and Kira's just as humble as they come as pleasant as pleasant can be. I know you're really going to enjoy that. So just wanted to make sure you knew those were there. And Arkansas head coach Mike Neighbors is our guest this week. As you will hear, he is a big Her Hoop Stats fan. 
He calls it the best $20 he spends on his program every year. And so, uh, yeah, that uh, was an unpaid-for endorsement, but we really appreciate it. But we appreciate so much more than that, him giving us his perspective of how this last season went for his team. He's got a lot of great opinions on how the season ended, uh, what more could have been done to honor some of these programs that were definitely going to make the NCAA tournament, like Arkansas, uh, a 24-8 and year. We talk about South Carolina, uh, his impressions of the number one team in the nation, and also what's more important, offense or defense? And he's got a definite opinion on that. There's no doubt about it. So really excited to be joined by the head coach of the Arkansas Razorbacks, Mike Neighbors. Yeah, you bet. Got lots of extra time this time of the year. So um, playing games, we got time to do podcasts, man. It's great. Well, it is, uh, you know, certainly not something that uh, anybody wanted from that aspect, the extra time. And your team was just in such a, a great position to make the NCAA tournament for the first time in several years. Um, you know, just a great season for your team. Uh, just tell us a little bit about how this year transpired and, you know, kind of moving into um, these this last week or so and, uh, you know, in the, in the backdrop of uh, what happened uh, with the NCAA and, and you not being able to, uh, you know, fulfill making that NCAA tournament. Year threes are always, you know, that move year. You know, they, in golf they call Saturday moving day. You know, to me, year three of a of a program build is, is the year you move. You know, I think people move in one direction or another in year three. It's time to establish, make make the kids that you that were there when you got there your own kids. Uh, bring in a few kids to supplement, and in year three you, you really start to move. Moving moving year, I guess. So, was really proud of what we had got accomplished. We. I uh, made a run, you know, the previous year to the SEC finals, narrowly missed the NCAA tournament. Uh, probably turned out to be the best thing ever happened to us in hindsight, looking back at it, John. You know, we we didn't make the NCAA tournament as one of the last teams in, and instead we went to the NIT and got to play three games and build a, a tremendous home atmosphere in our arena. We put 7,000 people in there for, for three games during the NIT, and it built a lot of momentum through the summer, and it carried on over to this year so. As, as hard as it was not to make the NCAA tournament in year two, uh, it helped it helped show that we were building and, and get that crowd base built. So we carried that momentum into year three. Um, you know, we've got kids now who have been in our program for three years. We've got new kids coming in that have supplemented that, that fit the style of play that we really like to play and uh, had a tremendous non-conference and, and rolled that into the SEC. Uh you take your lumps in the SEC. You know, we, we look up and you got South Carolina on the schedule, home and away. You're playing all you know all these teams that are ranked Kentucky's and Mississippi States and Texas A&M's and LSU's. So the league's always going to be a challenge. But to finish ten and six, that's the most SEC wins uh, that Arkansas's ever had in the S in, since they've been in the SEC for 29 years. So really, really pleased with where we finished that and then carried that momentum again into the, the SEC tournament, made a run to the semifinals uh, before we lost to South Carolina, the number one team in the country for the third time this year. And we're sitting around waiting, you know, for this the selection Monday. We had great plans to enjoy it as a team and then manage the rugs ripped right out from under you on Thursday and Friday of that week when we start to learn about the how 
devastating this pandemic is becoming and the cancellation of conference tournaments and then, you know, propelled into the cancellation of the NCAA tournament. So our kids all handle it in different ways. Uh, but I think now the, the further we get distanced from it, the more they really are starting to appreciate what they've been able to accomplish in a short period of time, uh, get our name back into the, the national conversation for being in the NCAA tournament, a lot to get into it. And it was just a question of where we would play and who we would play and end up being, um, you know, something I think that everybody, I know there's a lot of teams that had seniors that they will be just devastated for for years and years and years. But I, I think the celebrations we had along the way will help this group be remembered uh, for, for starting a, hopefully what becomes a team, that a program that's considered for the NCAA tournament year in and year out. Hopefully so. And as a team, we're making the NCAA tournament would have been a huge step in the program. Do you wish that there would have been a selection Monday still, even though you couldn't play the tournament? I think I understand the challenges that it would have created. Listen, I, I didn't want a bracket. I didn't. I didn't want people to say where we would have gone, and it didn't even have to be a full bracket. Just to, just announce the teams that the committee would have considered locks, <clears throat> teams that had won their conference tournaments teams whose body of work would have put them on the board with no debate among the 10 members. And I think there's a certain number of those teams and I, just something like that. And, and I don't do it. The reason we're looking at it from that standpoint, it may be a little different than how everybody else is talking about. It. I want it for our kids, but we're going to, we're going to give that to them. Uh, any of my kids that walk around and talk about, would we have been in, we're going to, we're going to put it on a banner. I don't know whether they're going to let us display it or not, but we're going to have it on a banner somewhere that this team was an NCAA tournament team. It'll be, Maybe it has an asterisk on it, I don't know. But the thing that concerns me the most about not having that out there is that there's going to be a number of teams, and all you have to do is be a person on social media to know this. There are a number of teams claiming that they would have been NCAA tournament teams, which really had no chance of being in the NCAA tournament. It's happening. So that's going to be another layer of misinformation that two or three years of recruits are going to have to deal with. So that's the reason I wanted to see it selfishly. And people I've talked to, I think it's a valuable tool for people to gauge the future recruits to gauge their programs on that they're considering. Um, and, you know, if a team's out there saying, oh, yeah, we would have been in it, you're counting on that kid to do the research and have the background knowledge where if we would have had some sort of announcement, again, not asking for a bracket, not asking for matchups, not asking for any of that, just these teams would have been in. And maybe it's not all 64. You know, that's okay, too. I think we should have have had, and maybe we still can. I don't know where they're at on it, but I think we should have a list of people that they were considering unanimously or near unanimously, locks, whatever we want to say, um, not only for us, not only for our seniors, but for, for future players to not have to wade through that level of misinformation that is out there, and I think it's just going to continue to increase. How big of an issue is misinformation in recruiting for a kid, <laughs> even getting aside from this particular very weird situation that we're in right now? How tough is that to, to fight? How much of that uh, is there for kids, 16- to 18-year-old kids, to have to wade through? Uh, I would hate to have to be doing it. I can tell you that. I, I don't I don't want one of my kids to have to wade through it and look through the actual evidence the it's out there there's no question all you have to do like i say is follow the the depth of stuff that happens on social media the misinformation we we have a saying around our office don't let the don't let the facts get in the way of a good story uh and everybody's entitled to their own opinions but not their own facts so we deal with it uh some of the questions i've had to answer 
point blank from parents and from players who will say, well, this coach at this school said this. Well, I'm like, and you believed it? Did you, did you research it? Well, no, I didn't know where to look. Well, let me research it for you and I'll show them evidence. But you know, I, I've, I've stood up in some of our meetings at the NCAA tournament and said, I think it should be an NCAA violation if a kid can prove they were lied to. If they can prove that somebody lied to them, gave them misinformation, then that kid ought to be able to transfer without penalty, and there ought to be a violation. It ought to be the greatest violation uh, that we have is, is lying to unknowing parents and kids who are trying to make, at this point in time, the biggest decision they've made in their lives. And it's out there. It's easy to see. It's easy to find. We just, we've got so many other things to, to look at and worry about. Sometimes we forget about the most obvious thing, um, and, and it's out there. I mean, I would tell you it's, it's a huge part. I don't know what number, you know, scale of 1 out of 10. I would say it's probably an 8. Uh, kids dealing with misinformation, and um, then they will turn that and, and just assume everybody's lying to them. At that point, you know, kids are going through the transfer portal and things like that. So misinformation, not only misinformation, but skewed information is a is a huge part of it. And we, you know, I, I think a lot of people try to do their best to make sure the kids do their own homework and find their own evidence. But it gets harder and harder every time some uh, tech billionaire creates a new uh, social media website. It's just another platform that people are able to get out and use to uh, recruit. I'm sure it's it's incredibly frustrating. Well, let's talk yeah. about some some positive things. Um, uh, first of all, uh, just the way that your offense uh, was humming this season. Uh, just looking it up through our website, an offensive rating in the in your Division One games this year of 113. Uh, you were third in points per game, of course. In outstanding three-point shooting team as far as percentage goes and then points per scoring attempt you were top 10 um didn't turn it over hardly at all this year what made your offense go to that kind of um level this season well we had great decision makers out there uh you know i think uh when you put four point guard top thinking kids on the floor you you expect to have low turnovers <laughs> Um, every one of our kids that we, that we trust with the ball uh, has some point guard in them. Um, and then I, I think, obviously, the system has something to do with it. We shoot it pretty fast. You know, I, I get a lot of detractors that will say, well, y'all shoot it before you can turn it over. And, and I do think there is some, um, you know, I think there's some validity to that point. But there is a little bit more to it than just, you know, uh, run and gun or jack it up, chunk and chase, whatever people like to call it. There is There is some methods to it. And, I think when you get four shooters uh, on the floor, your percentages, uh, your opportunity to win games goes up. If we were putting up gaudy offensive numbers and not winning or putting gaudy o offensive numbers up and not doing it against quality competition, then I think there's a case to be had. But it works against the best teams. It's helped us knock off teams that, you know, on paper may have more chance to win, more talent, more All-Americans, whatever you want to put there. So I think there's a combination of things. You get kids in that, that love to play this style. You give them a lot of confidence. You give them a lot of freedom. And then you got to coach their butt off. you gotta, you got to teach what is a good shot, who should be shooting the shots. Shot distribution is just as important as shot selection. So, you know, that's where y'all's website comes in so handy. Um because it's all right there at the touch of a button now. The, the stuff that Per Hoops does for us, the time it saves, 
we used to do some of this when I was an assistant coach at Xavier, and it would literally take me 10 hours a day to do what I can do now at the touch of a button on here and, and wow. get to the information that I need. I, I want to know, I mean, I want to know where we stand on points per play. That's a number I care about. Um, points per possession, eh, some of that depends on your defense. Like, we don't play very fast on defense, so some kids, teams can grind it out on us. So if I'm trying to evaluate how good our offense is, I look at that points per play because that's the same for everybody. That's irregardless of how another team plays on defense. If I'm evaluating our offense, what do we do when we touch it? Do we score? Do we turn it over? Or or what is the result and the outcome? So when I look up there and see we're right behind Oregon in points per play, then I know we're we're, we're functioning effectively. Um, and we're doing it fast. We call it functionally fast. That's our offensive kind of motto, I guess, if you were to, to tag something with it. But if, if you're getting that number of shots without turning it over, scoring, doing it against good teams, uh, then I think that's a, a real tribute to the kids that you brought in and then the, the confidence that our coaching staff has instilled in them to go out there and make plays. I absolutely agree with you that you know having a unique offense and, and that sort of um, – uh, strategy absolutely helps level the playing field in some games, knock off some teams. Uh, but how do you mix uh, your defense in there, and what is uh, the defensive philosophy uh, that helps uh, you occasionally tip the scales in in your favor uh, some nights as well? Yeah, glad you brought that point up. Um, that's a huge difference in what we've been able to do this year compared to the last two years, and. Uh, it's a really easy answer in my, in, from, from my standpoint, I gave the defense to my associate head coach, Todd Schaefer, instead of George. Um, I would leave practice. I learned this from Gary Blair when he was working with Vic Schaefer back in the day when I was on their staff, coach Blair would literally schedule his press conference during the middle of practice during the defensive time. And he would leave. So I did that with coach Schaefer. I said, Hey, I, I told him this approached him at the end of the year. I said, I want, I want you to just take the defense in whatever direction we want to go with the philosophies that we share, uh, which being I, I believe defense is an important part. I think the people that wear the T-shirts that say defense wins championships have not paid much attention to uh, what wins at the highest levels. I think it's more like defense finishes 11th if you look down the stats. But I do know it's a valuable part of the game. I don't think you can beat the best teams in the country game in and game out just with your defense. You have to have to have a balance. So turn that over to Coach Schaefer. He ran with it. We put a new little zone in that uh, he was comfortable with running from his days as a head coach at different levels and years as an assistant in college. And uh, defense to me is science and offense is art. And I'm better at art than I am science. So we turned that over to him, uh, turned the, the, the philosophies, the game planning, the, ter- you know, the terminologies we shared. I did want it to look a certain way, so I did a whole lot of just talking to him on the upfront, leading into it, and then just let him go and do his thing. And uh, once the team realized they could look at him for the defense and look at me for the offense, and my assistant coach Chantel Osar that helps with the offense, um, I think the kids had a very good understanding. They were on the same page the majority of the year, and um, our improvement defensively. I think we finished. I was looking at the stat, the, the website just a minute ago. I think we finished in the top forty maybe 38 or 39 in defensive overall rating as well. So uh, when you get that balance, then, then you can, you can um, hang on nights when the shots aren't going in. And it's important to have. And I think there does have to be – I'm never going to use the word balance, but I think there has to be a rhythm uh, between your offense and your defense to where 
uh, on nights when the shots don't go in at the rate you'd like, maybe you come up with a big stop or two. And it's ironic that our, our big win against Texas A&M came down to a defensive stop. But uh, we had several games this year where our defense was without a doubt a huge part and maybe the full reason that we won some games. But I think having the confidence in, a, in a, an assistant coach who works at the defensive side as hard as I worked at the offensive side and focused on it and really – uh, made it his own and his and part of our identity was a huge part of, of that. Uh, and then scheme wise, you know, we're, we're kind of a bend don't break. We're, you know, we're going to let you make a certain number of twos. We're just not going to give you the threes. It's, it goes back to this it, to me, whatever we're trying to do offensively, which is make threes, make layups and make free throws. That's our offensive plan. It's that, just that simple. We want to do it as fast as we can though. So if we're trying to, make threes, then we should be trying to make sure our opponents don't make threes. If we're trying to make free throws, then we should make sure we're not fouling our, our opponents. And if we're trying to make layups, then we should make sure we don't give up layups. So making that mirror uh, transition from offense to defense, not only on the floor, but in our philosophies, I think is an important part. I, I see a lot of young coaches whose offensive philosophy is not married to their defensive philosophy and, I told a, a coaching friend of mine, I said, hell, yours is not even dating, much less married. Uh, your philosophies do not mix up. You're, you're trying to play really incredibly fast on on offense, but not on defense. Or you're trying to slow it down on offense, and you're trying to play pressure defense. So I think those two things have to be really married. They have to go together to do that. You've got to have a real cohesive staff. Uh, you have to have players that believe in it, and that's kind of where we got to this year. And defense certainly – um, like I said, we wouldn't have had the overall team success. We wouldn't have been talking about being a lock for the tournament if, if the defense didn't come along with our offense as it got going. Tell me about coaching in Fayetteville, how rabid the fans can be and, and how, how much they want you to be good. Well, it's impossible to explain in a podcast. You have to live it. Um, I've now traveled to every time zone. I've coached in every time zone and all across the country. And when you get asked that question, it is impossible to describe it um, because it is the only – when you say growing up, hey, I'm going to the university, that's all you have to say. There's no – well, which one are you talking about? Everybody knew what you were saying. Uh, hey, there's a game on. Are you going to watch the game? You knew which game they were talking about. There wasn't, oh, which one? We don't We don't have any bumper stickers or uh, license plate that say house divided in this state. It, it's got a Razorback on it. That's just the way it is. Or the other, there's no divided. You're either with us or against us, but the majority of the state is with the Razorbacks. Um, there's three drive time sports shows that are full from six in the morning till nine in the morning. And then again, from three in the afternoon till seven at night. And they're just full with sports talk about the Razorbacks. And we have a press conference here and there's, 10 to 15 reporters once a week for women's basketball. Not, I'm just talking about women's basketball. At Washington, when we went to the Final Four, we only had one press conference in four years. <laughs> and it was when we were going to the Final Four, literally in between the Elite Eight and the Final Four. The only time we ever had a pre-game press conference, like during the week. So with that, and I can say this because I'm one of them, we have a lot of people who feel like they know everything – about every sport on this campus and they it's a good thing until it becomes a bad thing uh they're passionate about it but it sometimes overwhelms and, and trickles down to your kids it trickles down to your recruiting it trickles down to coaches losing in their job i think we would all we can all go back and point to to 
in Arkansas times when a uprising among our fan base has caused problems for our, for our kids, our players, our recruits, our coaches, you name it. But it's what makes it special. And it's what appeals to a certain level of kids. There's, we can tell through the recruiting process and we have to know, is it, is a player going to be able to stand there and sign an hour's worth of autographs after a game from time to time? And we had that this year. We there would be times when I would literally walk out. We'd still the, the autograph lines would be up to the top of the, the stairs and I would tell the team, if you guys will stay out here and sign autographs until every kid is gone, we won't practice tomorrow. And they would stay. They would stay an extra hour so we didn't have to practice the next day. When little did they know we were gonna take the day off anyway. I kinda mind tricked them a little bit. But um, you have to find kids that are willing to do that and it is a unique place. That um, does present its challenges, but having been all over the country, I can tell you it works for the way we play, the way we the way we coach. Not for everybody, certainly not for everybody, but it it works for us, uh, and we're able to find kids that that fit into that and understand that when you go to the catfish hole or you go to Sassy's Barbecue or Rides Barbecue to eat, then they're people are going to know you. And you can't be anonymous around here because you are going to be a focal point, not only in this city, but this entire state and region. Um, and you can't explain it to people. They have to experience it. I've gone through it with head, head coaches in other sports that, that know I went to school here and know I'm from here and know that I've called the Razorbacks, called for the Hogs everywhere I've ever been. They want to know coming in what they're dealing with. And I don't ever do it justice. <laughs> and they will at some point in time, I'll see them at a meeting or something. They'll go, man, you weren't kidding about that, were you? And I'll say, no, it's it's who we are. It is a passionate fan base. Uh, we're right here on the border, as you mentioned, Oklahoma a little bit earlier. A lot of our uh, fans work with people from various states, and they want to be able to have that water cooler conversation on Sunday, on, on Monday when they get back. Hey, the Razorbacks won. I saw the Sooners lost or Oklahoma State lost or Texas lost, you know, all the rivalries you're talking about from the Southwest Conference days. So it's a great place. It does have its challenges. Uh, but like I said, after being all over the country, there's there's not a better place to be, uh, especially for somebody born and raised calling the Hogs. I, I think about Chelsea Dungy and that uh, Oklahoma kid. Obviously, yep. she went to OU. Sherry's having a little bit of a downtime with that program right now, but but still, at the same time, very, very loyal fan base. Have you ever talked to Chelsea about what the differences would be between, like, an OU where they're so passionate and, uh, and Arkansas? Well, she, she has mentioned it. You, you do need to talk to her because she's got unique stories when it comes to that. And that's, again, an example of a, of a player who thought she knew what was going to happen but didn't understand that it was going to be, especially in her case. You know, she's so magnetic. So many people, the number of pictures – um, she has to stand in line to take becomes overwhelming. And there's been times we've had to provide security. I mean, it just becomes overwhelming. Um, but she, she takes it in stride. I think she would be a great person to talk to about it. You know, they're different. It's different, but I think it goes back to something we mentioned a minute ago. You know, I, I, y'all have state divided bumper stickers and license plates and everything. Oklahoma, Oklahoma state folks and Sooners. And then there's, you know, you're mentioning Tulsa and the other programs too, but, we, we don't have that here. So she would have a unique perspective on it. Um, you know, I, I don't personally know much about the difference because I've, I've never, that's, I coached at Tulsa 
So when I was in, when I coached at Tulsa for four years, I was a hurricane and I didn't get into the pokes and the Sooners. Uh, but that shows you the little bit of difference that um, this state enjoys uh, having the support of uh, the one Razorback. And Chelsea would be a great person to talk to about it, but she's handled it masterfully. She has developed a brand over here, uh, so marketable. You know, if it's, I, I sure hope for her sake this likeness and imaging um, rules pass and she's able to take advantage of it because she's one of the few kids who you would see on the side of a Walmart truck driving down the road or, uh, you know, RMS Bank, you know, some of our sponsors, there's no question this is a kid who – has made a brand uh, for her name for not only while she's here in school, but will uh, the next 40 years of her life as well. Well, that's awesome. That's that's really cool to see uh, and to and to hear about. I, I wanted to talk about South Carolina, if you wouldn't mind. You played him three <laughs> times this year. Yeah. I know, <laughs> I know it's tough, but in your mind, how did South Carolina stack up? In in your mind, were they no doubt the number one team in the nation? What uh, what did you think about the Gamecocks this year? Well, I can tell you this, they, they can beat you so many different ways. And to me, that's what makes a, a potential number one national champion. They, they can beat you with offense. They can beat you with defense. They can beat you inside. They can beat you outside. They can beat you at the free throw line. They can beat you every which way. Um, there's just not a hole in that team. And uh, depth, uh, quality depth, uh, just relentless at you. You can you could play really well for 30 minutes and you still lose by 20 points. That happened to us twice. We played really good, really, really good for 30 minutes in two of our games and lost by 20. We played really good for 33 minutes and lost by eight or nine the next time. But I, I would, wouldn't put one dime of my own money against them when it comes to could they have won the national championship. It's been a couple of years since we played Oregon. Uh, you know, I still, Sabrina was a freshman, Ruthie was a freshman the last time we were on the same floor with them. I think they were a great team. I think, you know, you, you have a bunch of teams that wanted the opportunity uh, to say they win a national championship for sure. But, um, you know, I, I would not bet one penny of my own dime against, against South Carolina. I think they had done it. They were peaking. Aaliyah Boston was getting better and better and better. Uh, you know, she stopped being a freshman about halfway through the season because she played so uh, played just so well. Uh, but yeah, I, I think we're finally going to get to have a great debate, John. I mean, for years the internet has destroyed the ability to have great debates because people would just go to the internet and look up the data and look up evidence and say this, that, and the other. Well, now we can have a debate on would it have been Maryland? Would it have been a, you know, an Oregon? Would it have been any of these number ones or two seeds? Or could there have been a, a sleeper uh, sneak up through there? Somebody who was, you know, I'll use Arizona as a great example. Uh, my former assistant, Adia Barnes, with the job that she did at Arizona, could they have gotten the right draw that would have allowed them to, to make a surprise, you know, run to the final four? Would you have seen a seven seed? You know, like we did when we were at Washington, make a really surprising run. There's going to be a debate out there, uh, and I think it's going to stir a lot of feelings for a lot of people. Uh, and I certainly know that, that Don uh, would have liked to have seen, especially her seniors, Herbert Harrigan, who had a great year, and Ty Harris have a chance to, uh, to win a national championship. And I know Baylor's sitting down there thinking they want a chance to defend theirs too. So a lot of people are going to walk around with um, you know, a lot of unanswered questions. Uh, but I think it's going to be really fun, uh, you know, trying to uh, decide what it would have gone like. But I, I like to say, I, 
South Carolina would have been having seen them three times, having known uh, how much how well we played at times, it still wasn't good enough. Uh, I would I would have I would have jumped behind uh, Don and the Gamecocks when it came tournament time. As far as competing in the SEC year in and year out, and and knowing that Coach Staley's got those three freshmen back, plus you know all the 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 quality depth and. And kind of, I talked to a lot of Pac-12 coaches this year about how good that uh, league was and, and how hard it was to win. What's your mentality as far as how to build your program and consistently build to a point to where you know you're challenging South Carolina for SEC championships in a, in a couple years? You have to be able to to win lots of different ways because the 14 teams uh, there's. A style of play difference. There's philosophy differences. The the more teams you add into your league, the the more challenging it makes it. You know, having come from the Pac-12 to the SEC, I get asked that question a lot. What's the differences in the two leagues? And and I never say one is better than the other. I'm just I'm not that kind of guy. I think they're both really really good. And when you play head to head, you know that's the only way to solve it. But they each present their unique challenges. What I can tell you is there's more teams that you have to prepare for. And when you do that, that means there's more styles of play that you have to have an answer for uh, to be able to beat those teams. You, you can just you, you can use our league as a great example. I guarantee you you can win a bar bet if you'll throw out there who's the only team in history to knock Tennessee off five straight games. Nobody's going to say Alabama, <laughs> okay? But they've done that. They've beaten them five straight times and almost beat them in six straight times. But that shows you that that style of play is bad for Tennessee when they come to play in Alabama. But you can also turn around and say, well, Alabama hasn't been to the NCAA tournament. Tennessee has. So that shows you there's so many different styles of play you have to prepare for and have an answer for offensively and defensively. And the thing about walking in, when you walk into this head coaches meeting down in Destin that we have, and you look across there and there's the Olympic coach Don Staley, and you're looking at Vic Schaefer who had been to back-to-back Final Fours, and there's Gary Player who's won a national championship, and there's Nikki Fargus, and then there's you know, Stephanie White, who's played in the league, and you're sitting around, you know, it, it takes me back to when my papa and neighbors warned me about playing poker. If you walk in the room and you can't spot the sucker, then you're the sucker. Well, I walked into that room, and I could, I'm looking around going, what, who in here is the, the sucker? Well, it was me, you know. So the challenge that the 13 other coaches, the 13 other programs, the depth, of talent that comes from this part of the country and comes to play in this part of the country, make it a really, really unique challenge. Every league is going to stand up and say, we've got the best league. And this is why, this is why I think keeps the sec in that conversation with everybody and in that debate. Um, and you have to bring it every single day in the 16 conference games that you're playing. Um, and you can just tell by the number of upsets I, I was looking. I, I know there were teams in the Pac-12 that have yet to been in the NCAA tournament, and because we were one of them for a while. But you, you go, you come to the SEC. Every team's been there and been there recently, uh, and has competed to be there recently. And that's where I think you mentioned the jumping and catching people. When we got here, we had the team before us had finished dead last. Fourteen out of they were the 14 seed. They'd finished dead last. We were picked dead last. So what are you going to do? And and I think that's where it comes back to part of what your question was. You have to develop an identity that people know what you're about. And we're not going to be good at everything. People, you know, nobody's calling us asking us for rebounding drills. Not, I don't get one request for rebounding drills. I get a lot of requests for shooting drills. 
and a lot of requests for what do y'all do to, to work on this. I don't get any questions about our rebounding because it's quite frankly not something we care about. Um, but you can't care about everything. You only have to care about the few things that's going to create your identity, be really good at a very few number of things and become great at it. Uh, and then you can start to catch people. Um, we caught a few people in year one. We caught a few more in year two. And uh, we caught a few more in year three. Now, now the key is to not let people behind us catch us try to slowly knock off one or two of these teams ahead of us to to get into the contention to be talked for about one of the top three or four teams in our league. I love it. What, Coach, you've been so easy to talk to today. Uh, just really, really enjoyed your insight. And, um, again, so sorry that your team did not get to see their name called on Selection Monday. But well, at the same time, I, I mean, uh, yeah, you're right. There, there's no doubt they were going to be there this year. So congratulations on an incredible thanks. year. Appreciate that. It's, uh, uh, you know, I, I think it's going to be a special year. We'll all look back on it. None of us, none of us have ever been through anything like this. We're all in uncharted waters. And the, the group that can be the most adaptable when this thing's over is going to going to have a, you know, a step up on the team. So when we start ready for next year, whenever that is, and, uh, y'all keep doing what y'all are doing. Cause I'm, I'm telling you, I, I, I tell everybody it's, we just had to redo our budget. I tell a quick story. I, y'all did not ask me to do this. Aaron did not, but I, you're going to get it anyway. Um, we just had to redo our budget at the university here. Uh, we had to go through every line that we've uh, had, and, and I combed through every receipt we did and how much we spent for these different services, these different things. And when I came across it and said that, you know, we paid $20 for this this uh, access to this website, I just tickled myself, just la- literally laughed out loud that it was probably the resource I used the most, and I paid the least for it. So uh, keep doing what y'all are doing. It is if it is a wormhole. I think y'all should put a disclaimer. It should be coming flashing yellow whenever you log on. You could spend too much time on this website if you're not careful because it will just wormhole you, especially for numbers geeks. Uh, it'll just wormhole you forever on breaking down your own team, breaking down your opponents, breaking down players. It's uh, really, really job well done. Well, thanks so much. Yeah, it's it's tough to stop clicking for sure. You oh, know, impossible. Yeah, it's impossible. <laughs> Pretty soon you've gone through all three hundred teams, but uh, oh, it's crazy. Yeah, it's crazy. Some of the I, I can always tell when my associate head coach and I have been on the the page together because we'll meet in the hall and I go, "Hey, I was on her hoops and I saw this," and he'll go, "Yeah, but I saw this." And there's just this you know exchanging of data that uh we thought each one of us had you know unearthed and it was really just a, a button we'd happen to simultaneously click so uh yeah it's uh it's like I say it's a wormhole but it's all great information that's for sure oh it's so fun hey thanks so much for relating that coach really appreciate it yeah most most certainly most certainly thanks so much mike neighbors the head coach at arkansas appreciate his time this week i, I just love to hear coaches that don't give you that coach speak right? I think that's what we're all craving is for the people that get away from that and get into the space of tell me what you're really thinking. And that's exactly what he does. And I love the opinion for him that offense is more important than defense. And you may disagree and that's fine. And I I think he's, you know, fine if you disagree. It sounds like he wants to have a little debate with you. Uh, But at the same time, I just love people that give you a definite opinion like that and take it and run with it. 
so, so cool. So thank you so much, Coach Neighbors, for that enlightening conversation. And we've got a WNBA-centered conversation coming up for you next week here on the show. We're going to talk to Greg Bibb, General Manager of the Dallas Wings. And the Wings hold four of the first nine picks in the WNBA draft. Is there anybody better to talk about the WNBA draft with than Greg Bibb? So we're going to talk to Greg about his approach going into the draft on the 17th. It'll be a great way for you to start your week as you really get geared up for who's going where in that virtual draft that the WNBA holds on the 17th. So that's coming up next week. Make sure you subscribe. Make sure you rate and review this podcast on Apple Podcast if you wouldn't mind. I mean, it really helps other people find the show and helps us uh, stay among the top women's basketball podcast. And so more people can hear these great conversations that we have been fortunate enough uh, to have over the last year or so. You can always reach out to us on Twitter at HerHoopStats or I'm at John Little Voice and Little is spelled with D's, L-I-D-D-L-E. And you can email us as well, podcast at HerHoopStats.com, podcast at HerHoopStats.com. The executive producer of the Her Hoop Stats podcast is Aaron Barzilai. Thanks so much to Jared Deck, JaredDeckMusic.com for the excellent music. And hey, prayers up for all my musician friends right now going through this time. I know it's rough for everybody that plays, that gigs for a living. I can't imagine what you're going through right now. So if you're a musician, just like so many of the workers in this country where COVID-19 has affected your livelihood, my heart is with you right now. Susie Solis is our announcer, and I'm your host, John Little. Until next time, reminding you that at the Her Hoop Stats podcast, we are unlocking better insight about the women's game. Her Hoop Stats.